I'm going to continue on my thought processes from yesterday. It's interesting how the Lord works. Um, I have five messages on hearing the voice of God that God hasn't let me preach yet. And so they're just in my journal of messages waiting to be preached. But it seems like he keeps giving me new thoughts that keep trumping what he already gave me. So I trust God's timing. So I'm uh, I'm loving what he's doing in my heart. Um, I want to talk about two foundations. Um, I want to I want to talk about two foundations that if we don't have these foundations established, we'll never operate. Even. We'll never operate in the realm of healing and believing for healing like God intended for us to. Okay. So two foundations that are imperatives. They're not negotiables. Um, we have to have these foundations established when it comes to believing and receiving and having all that Christ paid for with his sacrifice. Number one, the number one foundation, is it's God's will to heal every time, every person, all the time. It's God's will. You have to have that foundation. If we don't, the fact that's the deepest part of bleeding for healing of any other part. I can give you 50 reasons to believe in healing, but the number one reason is you gotta believe it's God's will. If we don't believe it's God's will, we will never pray prayers of faith. We will pray prayers of chance, prayers of hope, prayers of despair, you know, beggarly things like God help us, we need your help. But if we believe it's God's will, we'll actually take authority and take action and stand on what we know God's will is. It'll help our mindset, it'll help our belief system, it'll help our vision it'll help our perception of God so number one foundation when it comes to healing is we have to know and you have to believe that it's God's will it's 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 his will you can't look at scripture and say it's not his will and I'm going to show you that before the lesson you know is finished today so that's number one foundation and the second foundation is that he's already done it He's already healed everybody. He's already delivered everybody. He's already forgiven everybody. He's already done the work. He said it's finished, right? In John 19, 30, he said, it is finished. And <clears throat> that word, tetestalai, has four meanings, but really the essence of what that phrase means in the original language is everything that the sin and the curse on humanity that came because of the fall of Adam and Eve, I have righted the wrong. I have reversed the curse. I have paid the price. It is finished. Come on, you guys. It, he, he doesn't have anything to add to it. He did a sacrifice, and it's once for all. He doesn't need to do anything else. And so if you get those two foundations, that it's God's will to heal, and that he's already done it, um, 
then you start realizing, well, wait a minute, why have I been praying the way I've been praying? If he's already done it and it's his will, uh, I need to kind of shift. And they were given up and they were attacked and straight and he took many killed him and he took them off the wall. Amen. I love that. Where was I at? Oh, I was talking to a Zoom meeting. All of a sudden, I was in California. I'm sorry, you guys. That's how fast my mind shifts. I have to leave at 3 o'clock in the morning to fly to Los Angeles for a day and a half and then fly back to get I have to be interviewed to see if I'm uh, capable of ministering, I guess. I, I got to be interviewed. So it's interesting. Um, I hope I pass. <laughs> anyway, Brian, please be praying for me, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, and so I grew up where there would be altar calls in church services. And if it was for, do you want your sins forgiven? People would come forward. Or do you want your heart purified? People would come forward and people would pray with them believing that God could forgive their sins right there on the spot or God could give them a pure heart right there on the spot but then when people needed healing we would gather around them and always end the prayer with the tag if it's your will does anybody else resound with what I'm saying like all of you <laughs> what happened to us man what happened to us Okay, um, <clears throat> so I want to read verses from Isaiah 53. Can I? Let's read Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried Yet we ourselves <clears throat> assumed that he was afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated. So it must have looked so bad that humanity thought, man, God must hate him, right? I mean, it was so bad. He was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment for our emotional well-being was laid upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Okay? So the sacrifice of Jesus, it says it was our sicknesses. And that little word, our, is referring to the human race, which would include everybody on this Zoom call. Our sicknesses. <clears throat> and then it says he carried our pains our pain that's physical emotional every kind of pain he carried it and then verse five the first line he provided forgiveness for our sins the second line he provided cleansing and purification for our nature or why we sin the third line he provided deliverance from everything that keeps our mind from being at rest and at peace. So that's 
the power to get rid of demonic interference and oppression. That's the power to get rid of strongholds in the way we think. That's the power to heal memories. That's just everything involved in inner healing and deliverance. That's line three of Isaiah 53, five. And then the fourth line is, his wound healed us. And that's referring to physically. So for us as Christians, to believe that we could pray for God to immediately forgive someone and know it's his will, but then say, God, if it's your will, heal them physically, we must not be reading the same Bible. Because how do we separate the sacrifice of what Jesus did from forgiveness, cleansing, deliverance, healing, and say, well, part of it he wants to really do, and part of it's up to chance. We can't. And so therein lies our issue as modern day Western culture, most of us Christians. We've operated in such a low level of power for so long that mindsets and new theological perspectives have developed from a place of like weakness and empathy and apathy that it no longer tries to reflect what the scripture says is the reality of the kingdom. But we try to rationalize and keep ourselves from going spiritually insane because we don't know where the power is. And I believe we're not going to see the power until we get those two foundations established in our belief system. It is God's will to heal everybody, every time, all the time. And he has already done it. He has already healed everyone. Amen. Okay. Are we, are we okay so far? You say, well, brother Dan, you don't understand. People are dying. There's COVID. There's a pandemic. There's cancer. There's You're right. But I promise you before Jesus comes back, his bride will eventually become just like him or he can't come back and get her. And so eventually we're going to have to walk in this power. Eventually we're going to have to walk in this reality. Eventually we're going to have to walk in this perspective so that he can come and get us. So really, the timing of his return is based on the maturing of his bride. Now that's a good point too. The timing of his return, it has a lot to do with the maturing and the development of his body and his bride. In other words, he's waiting on us. <laughs> he's waiting on us. And we say we're waiting on him, right? I like the Bible to be the best commentary of the Bible. Does anybody else believe that? I think the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And so I'm going to read a couple verses from Matthew 8 that will give the commentary on Isaiah uh, 53, 4 and 5. Matthew 8, I'm going to read two verses, verse 16 and 17. It says, now when evening came, <clears throat> they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast the spirits out with a word. Now, I want to make a point on this, you guys, because a lot of times when we're in spiritual warfare, we think we need to keep saying stuff over and over and over again. 
like I command you to leave in Jesus name. I command you fear to leave in Jesus name. I command you sickness to leave. In fear. And we just say it over and over and over again. And really what that is saying is we really don't believe it because if we really believed it, a word would do it. And this is very profound what I'm saying here. Jesus touched on this a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. What he was referring to is a lot of people know the right words to say, but they're not saying them with confidence and belief. They're saying them out of religious routine or fear or worry or hoping that it works. But if we really believe, you guys, come on, if we, we, I'm talking about me and you, that's we, right? I got to believe it too. If we really believe that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us, and we have authority to get rid of demons and to heal all sickness and disease, then probably a word would do for us too. I mean, that's why it says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's like it becomes heavy when we take it on. Guys, I'm wrestling with the same stuff you guys are. Come on, I'm not, I'm not preaching down to anybody. I'm trying to raise us all up and I'm trying to get up with all of you at the same time. So I, I know that there is a place in the spirit where we can be at perfect rest in the middle of the perfect storm and have authority to calm the storm. There has to be a place for us to operate like that if we can grow up and become like our teacher, if we can become like our master. Jesus says it's good, it's enough for a student to become like his teacher, for a slave to become like his master. There has to be a way or Jesus would just be hanging a carrot in front of us saying, I hope one of you gets it someday. I think he's praying for us to all get it today. I think he wants us to actually believe that we have power to speak things and they have to move with one word. Come on, man. I think God wants that for his body, for his bride. So he cast out these evil spirits with a word. And then it says, and he healed all who were ill. He healed all. He healed all. He healed all. Don't you wish it said he healed most? It would give us an escape clause, wouldn't it? Or don't you wish he said he healed some who were ill? Or he healed 70%. I mean, I, I get frustrated, you guys. I've been doing healing services for 15 years. And if I see a congregation where 70% of the people say they're healed, I think it's a successful service. In Jesus' standard, that's a flop. Because he healed all who were healed. All. Now, do you think Jesus would do anything that wasn't the will of his Father? Do you think it's possible for Jesus to do something that's not his Father's will? It's not, it's not even possible. So the indication here would be it's probably the will of God to heal all. Would you guys agree? Come on, it's probably God's will to heal all who are ill. Okay. 
Yeah, and then people say, well, yeah, well, that was Jesus. Get real, Dan. We're us. Yeah, that's the whole point I'm trying to make. We've got to have foundations that believe we're not just us, but we are his body. We are his bride. We are his creation. We are his image bearers. Okay, so this happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. Here's the commentary. He himself took our illnesses and carried our diseases. Our is the human race, the human race. So I wanna go back to my first two statements. If we don't get the foundations of it is God's will to heal every person, every time, all the time, and that he's already done it 2000 years ago, we're not gonna operate in the authority and the belief and the power that God says all of us have to operate in. We've gotta get those two foundations down, okay? Against all odds, against cultural relevance, against being accepted, against status quo, whatever. I mean, you guys, I, I can't tell you how many people have gotten angry at me, angry at me and like cussed at me because I say healing is in the atonement, just like forgiveness. And they get mad at me and they, they rile, like they foam at the mouth in anger. How can you say that? And I just read the Bible. Like you just read the Bible. <laughs> Are you guys happy? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I just, I'm so happy. And so here's, 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 uh, I think here's what's missing. Here's what's missing in most of us. You ready for this? I think the key to being able to receive what Jesus purchased for us in his sacrifice in the realm of forgiveness, cleansing, uh, healing, deliverance, everything that he purchased, prosperity, you know, peace of mind. I think the key is found in Romans 4.21. Romans 4.21. And that's the verse where, you know, Abraham said he was fully persuaded that God was able to do what his word said. And don't you think that would solve 90% of all of our problems if we ever got to the place where no, no doubts, no questions. I'm fully persuaded that if God said it, he probably can do it. It's not on his end. It has to be on mine. Does that make sense, you guys, what I'm saying? I mean, if we ever got to the place there was no doubt, no questions, no hesitancy, no what if, what if, what, yeah, but, yeah, but. I mean, what if we got rid of all that and just said, no, I believe he can do what he said. I think that would unlock a river of power and faith in the body of Messiah that I think the world would stop and take notice. Because if we started operating in the power, you guys, um, then it wouldn't be about which political party, which group you're in, which caucus you're in, which side you're on. Because if we started operating in the power, we would either A, get killed, or B, a revival would start. Either way, it'd be a good deal. I mean, don't you agree? Isn't that why we keep getting on these Zoom calls? Because we do happen to believe that there's gonna be a river, a well that's gonna be unleashed at any moment. 
and that we're actually going to be at the front of the wave and we're going to be able to see what God does. That's why we keep getting on these Zoom calls, you guys. We don't need practice. We need the power of God, man. And so I'm just like, I just, like, I got up this morning. I had a long service last night. And I got up this morning and I thought, I wonder if today's the day. I wonder if today's the day. Like, every day I think that. Like, is this the day the revival's going to hit? Like, it has to start someday. Don't you agree? Like, it has to start someday. Why not today? Right? Why not today? And so, Jesus died for our physical healing just as much as he died to forgive our sins. You can't separate it, you guys. You can't separate it. So you can't say, well, but he's using this sickness to make you more humble because you can't back that up. You can't separate and say, yeah, but if you, if you have enough pain, then eventually you'll become holy. You can't find that in the life of Jesus. Come on, you guys. I've heard so many of these things. I've heard, I've heard actual people in the body of Christ say healing is of the devil because it makes people come to God for selfish reasons. I've heard people say that. Healing's of the devil. I've heard so many weird things, you guys. And I'm just going to tell you, I believe more than ever that Jesus died to forgive us, to cleanse us, to deliver us, and to heal us, period. That's why he did it. Because he wanted to right everything that was wrong. Amen? Are you guys with me? There's a word in the New Testament. Most of you preachers would know that word, sozo. Uh, sozo, sozo. It's used 300 and some times. I wish I knew how many times. I think it's 320 times. Um, and it's a word that refers to the work of salvation, right? It's usually translated saved, saved. And it means to be forgiven, cleansed, delivered, healed, rescued, protected, kept safe, prosperous. The word means everything that sin caused to go wrong, his sacrifice caused to go right. That's what it means. It never means just forgiveness so you can go to heaven. That's not what the word means. It always means Forgiveness of sin so that all the effects of sin can be reversed and now you can have the effects of life. That's what the word saved means in our Bibles, in the New Testament. So it's not just forgiveness, you guys. It's the whole package. Jesus didn't go trying to save souls. Jesus went trying to redeem people, spirit, soul, and body. He wants to redeem the complete person. Are you guys are you guys tracking with me? Come on. And so um let's read Hebrews 1 3. Let's read Hebrews 1 3. It's a good verse. Hebrews 1 3. And he and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The reason why I picked that verse is because that verse tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of what God is like. 
Are we good with that? Like John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, that's what the Father looks like, right? If, if you see me, I am God in a body. I am God in flesh. So just look at me. And the significance of that, you guys, is before Jesus came, it would be really hard for humans to understand God at all. Wouldn't you agree with that? Because how could we understand a cube of lightning and thunder and smoke? I mean, how, we couldn't understand that because we're in a body, right? So Jesus had to become a man so that we could get a visual and have an understanding of what God's like. And so this verse is telling us that if you've seen Jesus, that's what God is like. Are, are we okay on that? Do we agree with that? And so, um, so what does God look like in practicality and ministry? Turn to Acts 10. Turn to Acts 10. And I'll read verse 38. And this is what it looks like. Okay. And Ron Crooks, if you're still on here, Maybe this is what revival will look like. Acts 10.38. Okay. Do you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good? So what's going to happen to you when you have the Holy Spirit power on your life? What's the evidence? You're going to go around doing good. You get it? Like, you're not gonna be weird. You're not gonna be unapproachable. You're not gonna be a cult leader. You're not gonna be shipped to Siberia. You're actually gonna go around as a lifestyle doing good. That's what's gonna happen when the Holy Spirit comes on you and empowers you. That's why it's imperative that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't have power. Come on, you guys. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to do what Jesus said. You can't do it with willpower. You have to have his power. You can't do it with discipline. You have to have his power. And so Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. You guys know that. There's no recorded miracles of Jesus until the Holy Spirit came on him. For 30 years, there's no miracle stories. And in the last three years, there's so many stories, there's not enough books to contain it all. Come on, what was the difference? The power, the power of God, the power of God came on him. And it made him go around and do good. He just went around and did good. Yay. Don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. Jesus was the good broker. Come on, man. He was the good broker. He like, he God is good. How do you know? Jesus is God. Amen. And so what does it look like to go around doing good? Well, healing all. See the next line? Healing all. So what would it look like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and just live a life of doing good? Well, it would have to start with healing everybody. I wonder if that's God's will. I'm being redundant here, aren't I? 
I'm stuck in a, I'm stuck. I'm kind of stuck on these two foundations, man. If it's not God's will, why is that all Jesus did? Like, why did he just go around healing everybody? Because he is the representation of the Father. That's Jesus. Healing all. Now, who needed healing? The next phrase, the next line explains it. Who were oppressed of the devil. It doesn't say healing all who were under a punishment from God. It doesn't say healing all who were learning a lesson. It says healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Because God was working with him. Wow, man. Now, do we believe Jesus lives in all of us? Yeah, we do. If we're Christians, we do. Do you think he still wants to do good? Yeah, we do. Well, who does he have to do good through? The ones he lives in. What would that look like? Well, we would just go around healing everybody. You really believe that? Yeah, that's why I'm talking to myself. Because I think faith comes by hearing and you're the best megaphone your heart will ever have. Sometimes you need to lock yourself in a room and read verses to yourself over and over and over again until you actually believe it. I think he wants us to go around doing good and healing all because everybody's oppressed to the devil that doesn't know God. And we've given everything scientific names instead of calling it what it is. Come on, man. Am I okay or am I treading on thin ice? Come on. Somebody tell me if I'm okay or okay. So, so here's, 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 you want to know the real mo you want to know the real motivation for me teaching this lesson is my my years of travel and you know i've been with you scott in meetings i've been with you david in meetings i've been with you daniel in meetings i've been with you vicky in meetings i've been with you steven i've been with you shelly i've been with you marie i've been with you rich i've been with you nate i've been with you ed i've been with you brian i've been with you tommy and juliet and susan and and Ron, I mean, I've been with all of you. I've been with all of you in meetings. I don't think I've been with not any of you, maybe a handful of you, but most of you I've been in meetings. And here's what I found in my meetings. Every congregation, usually 80% of the people are struggling with some kind of a sickness or a disease. 80% of the congregation. Come on, you guys. And if it's God's will to heal everybody all the time, every time, and he's already done it 2,000 years ago, shouldn't 80% of the body of Christ that always battles sickness and disease bother us as much as adultery and murder and lying and hypocrisy and slander and stealing? I mean, shouldn't sickness bother us as much as sin if Jesus paid for both in his sacrifice? You see what I'm getting at? You see why it just grates at me? Like, why would the world want to listen to anything we have to say in the spiritual realm when we have no answer for their physical problems? I mean, what answer do we have for the world's physical problems if 80% of the church is having physical problems? And I'm not yelling at anybody on the Zoom. I'm in the same boat, you guys. I'm just saying it's not what God wants. He wants a bride that's just like him. And there's no recorded days where Jesus had a cold or Jesus had the flu or Jesus had 
What I mean, there's, it's not in the Bible. He didn't go through that suffering for his sickness. He went in it for our sickness. Jesus didn't have sickness, you guys. Sickness is a byproduct of the nature of sin that the human race is plagued with. If there's no sin, there's no death, there's no sickness, there's no sorrow, there's no depression. There's nothing wrong except for sin births death. Jesus came to birth life, man. So he didn't go through all that for himself. He went through all that for us. I'm gonna ask you a question, Rich Henry, because I really do respect you. I, I respect you more than you know, and I'm not trying to flatter you. But if I came to your church, Rich, and 80% of the people in your church were murdering people on a regular basis, we would question whether they're even saved. Or if 80% of the people in your church were sleeping with the neighbor next to them and having intercourse, we would question whether they're really even saved. But we have been so lulled to sleep by the age that we live in that we never question why 80% of them are sick. And that bothers me, church. That bothers me. We're supposed to be brokers of a kingdom that has great effects on spirit, soul, and body. We're supposed to be the catalyst for revival. If he can't work through us, who's he going to work through? Am I right? Am I right, Shelly? Come on, Shelly. I remember when I was at your church, Shelly, in one of the services, 43 people said they were touched in some way, okay? I remember, I counted them twice to make sure I wasn't exaggerating. 43 people said, yeah, I got this pain, I got this, this, this. Okay, that's great. Why did 43 people need to be touched? That's my problem. I'm not mad at you, I'm not mad at me, I'm not mad at God. I'm trying to figure out how we got to the place where stuff that's not normal to God has become normal and acceptable to us. That's all I'm trying to get to. I think he wants us to believe like he believes. Don't you guys agree that he wants his body to believe like he believes? Am I okay, Brian? Am I okay? Okay, I just, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm not in touch with reality because I don't really spend a lot of time listening to anything else but the Bible. But I don't think I want to spend a lot of time listening to anything else. I think we're running out of time, man. And I've been, I literally have been in the Bible a minimum of six hours a day for as long as I can remember. And I don't ever want to get out of it. I don't want to get out of it because it keeps taking me deeper in these thoughts. It doesn't take me away from it and create balance. It actually takes me deeper where the road gets narrower, but it seems like the narrower the road gets, the more freedom I have. I don't even know how to explain that. It seems like the narrower the way gets, the broader my imagination gets. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. It's like I get so confined in the love of Christ that I feel like there's nothing that's impossible now. You know, it's almost like you almost get brainwashed in the good way. Like your mind gets so renewed that it doesn't try to talk you out of what your heart believes. And I think that's, 
I think I told the Zoom yesterday, I'll tell you again today, uh, today, my job is to provoke all of you to get in the wrestle with truth and never let go of truth. That's my job. And so really, in essence, you wanna know what my job description is? To make all of you my short-term enemies so that the result will be you'll become lifetime friends. But if we don't have to wrestle through the things that provoke us for a little while, we'll never get rid of the things that keep us from becoming one for eternity. Does that, does that make sense, you guys? So I'm willing for everybody to be mad and upset for moments because I don't care. I just know what my motive is. I'm not trying to build a, min, a ministry or an empire or anything. I'm actually trying to lead a company of people that are going to walk in the fullness of what Jesus says we have. Like we have it. It's right here. It's right here. Okay. And so second Peter three, nine, I'm just giving a couple verses. That's the verse that says it's God's will that none should perish, right? It's God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, right? So do we believe that God wants everybody to be saved from their sins? Do we believe that? Is everybody being saved from their sins? No. Well, why do we believe it's God's will for everybody to be forgiven, but it's hard for us to believe it's God's will for everybody to be healed? Because it's the same sacrifice. It's the same price. Amen. And so let me give you these three verses from Matthew 10 that I preached on last week a little bit. I'm just going to, I'm going to come at them from a little bit different slang, uh, a little bit different angle. Matthew 10, 1 says that I, I called my 12 disciples and I gave them power and authority over all unclean spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. Okay. So if Jesus gave that power and authority to those 12 disciples, do you think that we have the same power and authority? Let's answer that question honestly. Is there anybody on this Zoom that doesn't think God has given you the same power and authority that he gave his original disciples? Do you think we have the same authority? Okay, we do. Nobody's saying no. Okay. So what does that look like in practice? So Matthew 10, 7 and 8 says, As you go, preach saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. So that just means as our lifestyle, as our lifestyle, we should be presenting a kingdom reality that's available for anybody who would believe. Do you guys believe that's what that means? So it doesn't just apply to preachers or evangelists or pastors. It's everybody who's a believer. As you go, let everyone know that you bump into, there's a greater reality that's available for them if they just give up and surrender, right? That should be our lifestyle, right? So do you think God needs us to preach that message or do you think he can do it through osmosis? Do you think God's waiting on us to actually be his mouthpiece to let people know what's available? Come on. Do you think God is waiting on us to be the preachers because he doesn't use, he doesn't use coffee cups or cough drops or iPhones or towels. I mean, he could use anything, but he actually waits to use 
the creation that he lives inside of. He's waiting to use us. He's waiting for us to preach the message, right? He's waiting on us to preach. Would you guys agree with that? Okay. Then verse 8 says, and then heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. Freely you've received, freely give. So if God's waiting on us to preach the message, then he has to be waiting on us to heal the sick. He can't do it. He's waiting on us. He's already done it, you guys. He's already healed everybody. See, here's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Isn't this really the crux of the matter? If we don't believe those two foundations, we're going to be sitting around waiting on when's God going to heal the person. If we don't believe that he's already healed everybody and forgiven everybody and delivered everybody and cleansed everybody, and he's waiting on us to release it into people's lives, we're never gonna go around thinking it's our responsibility. We're gonna be praying, oh God, heal the person. He's gonna be saying, what do you mean? You heal them. I've already done the work. I'm waiting on you to believe with me. I'm waiting on you to speak the word. I'm actually waiting on you to release my power. I've already given everything. I have nothing left to give. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm praying for all of you right now. Don't you get it? I'm waiting on you. Whoa. So I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There's 16 pastors on this Zoom that everybody thinks they're the ones who are supposed to be doing it. And Jesus is waiting on every disciple to do it. Isn't that ironic? Jesus is waiting on every disciple to live a lifestyle that makes people hungry for a greater reality called the kingdom of God. And then heal everybody that needs healing and cleanse everybody that needs cleansing and resurrect everybody who has dead areas. And he's waiting on us to do it. Isn't that amazing, you guys? And you see why it's imperative to have those two foundations established? Because if you don't, you're just going to think, well, it's all up to God. He's sovereign. He's going to heal who he wants to, and he's not. And we're just going to be floating around, discouraged and bored, waiting for something to change when the power for change is inside of all of us. Amen. Ephesians 3.20 says that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. And if we stop there, nothing ever happens. But we have to include the last phrase of Ephesians 3.20, which says, but it's according to the power 
that's working in you. And so if we don't agree and use the power that's working in us, the God who can do more than you can ask or imagine is limited because he's waiting on us to do it. It's in us. It's waiting to get out of us. One of the verses that really ties with Ephesians 3.20 is Colossians 1.27, and that's the verse that just says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the reality is the power that can do more than we can ask or imagine is Jesus, right? He is the power, right? He's, he's the source of power. And then it says the hope of glory. Now, glory, in, in, in essence, is any manifested attribute that only God could do. That's what glory means. And so the reality of Ephesians 3.20 and Colossians 1.27 is there is a God who lives inside of us. But the hope is we'll actually believe he wants to flow through us and release attributes and manifestations that only he can do which would include healing deliverance cleansing freedom prosperity reconciliation i mean it's only what god can do you guys that's what the glory is and he's waiting on us to preach the message and heal the sick and that's when the glory is released This almost seems so simple, doesn't it, you guys? It almost seems so simple, but yet so hard. Does that, does that make sense? It almost seems so simple, but yet so hard. Um, yeah. So what keeps us from that simple reality of releasing glory, releasing healing? Usually it's the devil's accusations. That's the number one culprit that steals our confidence, right? It's, uh, well, what if nothing happens? Well, remember what happens last time you did it? Nothing. Well, what if they talk about you? What if you lose your tithers? What if you lose your job? What if you're labeled a heretic? What if you, and you hear all these accusations. Did you guys know that God can't resist the devil for us. We have to do it ourselves. Did you know that he, James 4, 7 says, you need to resist the devil personally. Nobody on this Zoom can resist the devil for me. And I can't resist the devil for any of you. Like you all have to resist the devil yourself. Amen. Because Jesus has already defeated the devil. Did you guys know that? Jesus has already defeated the devil. The verses that I love when I talk about this is Colossians 2, 14 and 15. And I always butcher the translations when I'm quoting it because my mind has NIV, the nearly inspired version. And then NLT, the New Living Translation that everybody likes, but it's not accurate. And then the NASB, which was perfect in the 95 version, but now I have the 2020 version. They've gone the way of the NLT. So my mind has all these translations floating around. So when I quote verses, I am not quoting, just don't look up what paraphrase, I'm paraphrasing, okay? 
But Colossians 2, 14 and 15 simply means Jesus went to hell for one purpose, to destroy Satan's power. He stripped him naked. He made a public spectacle out of him. He prayed him around. He mocked him. He preached to everybody that was in hell. Come on. And he disarmed the powers and nailed all of our sins to himself on the tree. And now Satan has no power and Satan has no authority. So all he has is words. All he has is words. In fact, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, when we finally see him, we'll be in shock. And we'll look at him and say, you're the man who caused all this on the earth. You did that? Like he's gonna be nothing. For some reason, he has a big voice that we listen to. And he makes us afraid, it makes us insecure, it makes us have no confidence because he's an accuser of the brethren, right? Rome, Revelation 12, 10. He goes around trying to talk us out of what Jesus says we are. That's his job. Now here's what happens. If we listen to his accusations for any time at all, then, the, then deception starts happening. And if deceptions goes on long enough, then we develop strongholds in the way we think and then it's normal to have 80% of the people in our church that are sick and we think that's just normal. But it starts with accusation. It starts with, well, you're not gonna pull that off. Who do you think you are? You can't heal anybody. And if we don't know the word, you guys, sometimes his word seems more reasonable than the word. If we don't know the word, is that important what I just said? If we don't know the word, most of the time Satan's narrative seems more reasonable than the word. Because he, he tells us the way that seems right to man. And in the end, it leads to destruction every time. So, what am I getting at? I really do have a point here. Um, it, what would it look like for us to live with the two foundational belief systems that I started with? That it is God's will every time and he's already done it. I think it would look more like Acts 3 than we would imagine. We would see people that it looks like it's impossible, right? 40 years of crippled begging and we're at the place of prayer and instead of just flipping him a couple of coins, we actually believe it's God's will to healing. And we actually believe we have the power to do it. And so we wouldn't pray to God about, oh Lord, help this beggar to be healed. We would actually look at him and say, rise up and grab his hand and get him up. I think that's what it would look like. You say, well, that's scary. No kidding. No kidding. It is scary. Um, I remember when I was with uh, Rob McCorkle and Brian McConnell and about 850 people at a camp meeting, at a camp meeting down in Logan, Ohio. And it was, it was back when they had the tent. It was real hot. It was hot. It was like 90 degrees, 100% humidity. I was dying. And 
at the end of the service, there was a lady there in a wheelchair that wanted to be healed. <clears throat> and about 200 people, maybe 150 people had gone out to the snack shop to get Cokes and hot dogs, you know, it was hot. But there's people there wanting to be healed. And I'm mad, I'm, I'm yelling at God in my heart, saying, what am I doing here? These people want hot dogs instead of healing. I was so frustrated. And this lady's looking at me saying, I want to be healed. And I asked what was wrong. She told me the disease and the, the district superintendent was standing on my right and Rob McCorpel was standing on my left. And then Brian McConnell was standing right next to Rob. We were looking at this lady in the wheelchair and the Holy Spirit shows me her getting up. The Holy Spirit shows me her getting up. I could see her get up. She said she hadn't been able to walk in 10 years. So I don't know her story. So I said, grab my finger. I held my finger out. Cause I didn't want to yank her up. I wanted her to believe that she could get up. And the Lord, the Lord says, hold your finger out. It was just weird, you guys. So I did, she got up, she walked, she was healed. Well, I had to believe that God wanted to heal her to do that. I couldn't have done that by chance. And I think, and I could tell you dozens of stories like that. I think if we as the body of Christ would believe with full persuasion that it's God's will to heal every sickness, every disease, every time, and that he's already done it. He's already done it. He's already healed us by his stripes. We're healed. I think if we were fully persuaded, those little hesitations that we try to rationalize and reason, well, is this you, God, or is this me? I mean, are you really going to back me up or not? I mean, I think all those arguments would go away if we could really get these two foundations established in our belief system. How many of you believe that is true, what I'm saying? Like you're wrestling with it, but you know it's true. It really is the problem. It's not what Jesus said. It's not what we want to believe. It's not what the word says. We don't really, we've had enough words that have taken root in our DNA that we're having to wrestle through the weeds. <laughs> you know, we're having to wrestle guys because we've all been in services where, oh yeah, God wants to forgive you now. It's not a process. He wants to forgive you now. And then we've all been in services. Well, if it's God's will, he'll heal you. And we have to right the wrong. We have to change our mindsets. We have to change the way we think and the way we believe. You guys agree with me? I mean, so I got three, th four verses. You ready? I got four verses. Colossians 2, 6. Colossians 2, 6. Remember, I'm paraphrasing these based on different translations, but it just simply says, just as you uh, accepted Christ, so walk in him. So how did all of us accept Christ? By faith. We didn't strain and grovel and hope that he would accept. We just, we believed, right? We accepted it by faith because we felt grace. We felt mercy, right? We felt him extending himself to us and 
So, okay, I accept you. Well, so if that's the way you came to Christ, that's the way you're supposed to receive everything Christ provides. So if he says, I can prosper you, I can heal you, I can restore you, I can deliver you, then we need to just receive that the same way we received him. It's supposed to be that simple. Okay, I receive. I receive it, right? It's a gift. Um, Romans 10, 9. I, I want to read that verse. Romans 10, 9. says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, I, I bring that verse up because a lot of people believe the reason why they're having trouble is because they haven't confessed all their sins. Now, can I give you all a heads up on this Zoom? If your forgiveness is based on your ability to remember all your sins, none of you are forgiven. Can I get an amen on that? Like. If, if you've sinned 11,400 times and you only remember 11,350 of them, what good is it? So, so you don't need to go around trying to recount all that you've done wrong. You need to start receiving all that Jesus has done right. Why do we go around with a sin conscience when God wants us to go around with his conscience? Why are we always trying to look back at all of our mistakes when Jesus already nailed all of them to the cross and they have no power anymore over us? We need to start receiving the gift of life instead of trying to remember all the death that we walked in until we receive the gift of life. Does that make sense, you guys? First John 2.2, this is a paraphrase. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? He's already forgiven everybody. He's already done it. Jesus has already forgiven everybody. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Like, that's why he said in John 20, wherever you go, forgive people's sins. In other words, tell them, I've already done it. Quit walking around, condemn, man. Just receive my gift. I've already forgiven you. And then Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Now, that's not just our physical death, you guys. If you study that out, it's death of every area of your life. It's death of your dreams. It's death of your hope. It's death of your faith. It's death of your confidence. It's death of your finances. It's death of your family. It's death of your ministry. It's death of your physical. It's death of your health. You get it? You guys get it? The way, what sin produces is death in every area. That's what it produces, right? Sin produces death. Okay. But the gift of God is eternal life. So that's not just life. You can, now listen to me. That's not just life in your spirit so you can live forever in heaven someday. That's life in every area of your life. That's healing for your body. That's peace for your mind. That's prosperity for your pocketbook. That's reconciliation for relationships. That's influence and authority for your ministry. That, I mean, go on and on. Life is life, you guys. And what does it say? It's a gift. 
And if we don't believe that the gift includes healing and deliverance and prosperity, and if all we think the gift is, well, you don't have to worry about going to hell, then we don't understand the gift. The gift is everything that sin produced that leads to death. God's gift makes every area of your life produce life. <laughs> oh, man. Yay. <laughs> Isn't this awesome, you guys? And so, and so the last verse is the paraphrase of Matthew 11, 12. I just do the last part of the verse. The kingdom of God suffers violently. And the violent take it by force. And we started off, you know, talking about if we don't believe it's God's will that he's already done it, then we're not going to walk in authority and confidence and power. We're just going to hope that God somehow intervenes, right? That's why we have to get the foundation laid. Okay. What does it look like to take the kingdom violently? like by force. It means getting angry at everything that sin produces, not just sin itself. In other words, when's the last time you got fuming mad over sickness? Because until we get sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're going to be sick and tired. I, I don't know how else to say that. Until we get sick and tired, of being sick and tired, we're just going to be sick and tired. We're going to have to declare war on everything that sin produces, not just sin itself. That's where most mainline churches have missed it. Because we didn't believe Jesus wanted to write every area of our life. Does this make sense to you guys? Are you feeling peace like, like a river? Like it, it makes sense, doesn't it? So let me give you my personal example and then we'll have discussion because I don't have anywhere to go today. I'm happy. All I got to do is get a new windshield in my car. So um, my wife, my son and three grandkids got COVID like, I don't know, two and a half weeks ago. And my wife was just coughing on me like all night long, just coughing on me, coughing on me, coughing on me. It's like for two nights. And finally I said, honey, I'm going to go to a hotel. I'm not going to have you cough on me all night long because I'm not canceling all my meetings. I'm preaching six times a week. I can't cancel these meetings. And so I'm just going to go stay at the Hampton Inn here. If you need anything, call me. I'll bring you food. I'm not going to get this stupid bug. I'm not going to get it. I'm mad at what COVID's done to the body of Christ. The whole body of Christ has fear, and there's no love, there's no faith, there's no courage. Everybody's cowered down to a stupid virus. And I'm ticked off at it, okay? That might be the beginning of what it means that the violent take it by force. Do you get it, you guys? So I go to the hotel, spent six nights, brought my wife breakfast and lunch every day, leave it on the front porch. She said, are you sick? No, I'm not sick. I am not sick. I'm covered by the blood. Or are you going to get a test? No, I don't need a test. I'm not sick. Okay, so I come home last Friday, and I go over to pray for Wes Adams because he's dying because he got COVID. 
and he's already a quadriplegic for 64 years. And so he has real, you know, weak immune. His lungs are weak. He's just sick, you guys. And so I'm over there for about an hour and he's just breathing on me. You know, he's gasping for air. He can't talk. I'm sitting right in front of his lap. He's in his hospital bed at his house. He's breathing on me for an hour, coughing and breathing on me. And all of a sudden my mind says, oh no, what if I get it? And so in my mind, I'm rebuking it. 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 Which means I'm afraid I'm getting it. <laughs> we're, supposed, we're supposed to let our words be few. Come on, you guys. We're supposed to actually believe our word and a word can do it. But when you're worried, you add words. Come on, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. When you're worried, your dialogue gets longer. God, did you hear me the last time I said it? God, are you really there? I mean, isn't the question of faith, that phrase in Exodus 17, doesn't the wrestle of humanity boil down to that one phrase, is God really with us? Isn't that the ultimate question that undermines everything that we wrestle with? Do we really believe he's with us? Or do we think we need to get his attention by telling him how bad we're doing? That's the question. And so I left the prayer meeting, went to preach the service, got home, started feeling sick. My wife says, you getting sick? Nope. Well, you sound sick. I'm not. So I go to bed, get up Saturday. I'm sick, but I'm not saying that. My head hurts. My joints hurt. My lungs are burning. My sinuses are clogged. My throat is so sore I can't swallow. I'm tired. Honey, you gonna take a test? Don't need one. Well, you sure sound sick. Well, I may sound like it, but I'm not. So all day Saturday, I'm rebuking it. I'm pleading the blood all day Saturday. Sunday, you sure sound sick. Well, I'm not. Well, are you gonna take a test? Don't need one. And so all day Sunday, I'm fighting this thing. I'm not calling it a virus. I'm calling it a devil. It seems to me like we've given scientific names to everything Jesus told us to cast out. You know, the common cold. What the heck? Is it a cold or is it a demon? Jesus didn't have it. Like we lay hands on people, then we look for the hand sanitizer, right? Is this, is this okay that I'm doing this? I just, wave your head at me if it's okay. Can, can you guys imagine Jesus cleansing a leper and then saying, Peter, where's that hand sanitizer? Because either, either when we lay hands on people, healing is coming out of us into them, or their sickness is coming out of them into us. It can't be both ways. Am I right, you guys? I mean, either healing is flowing out of us into people or their sickness is flowing out of them into us. It can't be both ways. And which way the flow goes is determined on what we really believe. 
So Monday gets up. I still have a sore throat. My, my sinuses are so clogged up. I'm still aching. I'm still tired. My wife says, you're taking a test. No, I'm not. I'm not going to be conformed in the pattern of this world. She says, well, you're, you're just putting your head in the sand. No, I'm not. I'm trying to keep it in the word. Well, are you going to go to that service tonight? Yes, I am. Are you going to be a super spreader? No, I am not sick. And so I go and in my mind, I'm going to honor the people by staying eight feet apart because I'm the preacher. I don't have to be in the crowd. I don't have to get down and touch people. I can preach from 10 feet away, right? So I'm saying, okay, I'm not going to be a super spreader if I have some bug, but I'm not claiming it. I'm fighting this thing. I'm standing. I'm fighting. And so Monday night, the service starts at six. I start talking. And at 6.20.25, I felt it leave my body. It left. Just like I'm talking to you right now. I felt it just, it went, it was gone. Instantly, my sore throat was gone. My headache was gone. My achiness was gone. My tiredness was gone. My breathing was clear. Instantly. And I saw what it looks like for the kingdom to be taken violently. I didn't quit fighting until I won. And I think most Christians just give in. Well, this is the way it is. And God's sovereign. And if he wants to heal me, he will. But he's probably trying to teach me a lesson. Because most Christians don't know what Jesus paid for. And most Christians don't believe he wants to heal everybody. And most Christians don't believe he's already done it. So Father, I just thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for your power that's in your word. I thank you that every word can perform itself. Every word can perform itself. You don't have random words. You have intentional words. You have specific words. I thank you that you're the solution to broken relationships. You're the solution to broken bodies. You are the solution and the answer to broken minds. You are the answer to broken finances. You are the answer to broken dreams. You are the answer. And so God, you have an open invitation for all of us to receive the gift of life. That's your, that's your invitation for us. So I, Pray that everybody that's on this Zoom now and that will listen to it on the library later, I pray that you just let us have faith to receive the gift that you're offering all of us. And then we freely receive it, and then we just go around freely giving it. So, Lord, we bless you. We love you. We really do. This is, like, amazing that we can be together on the Zoom. We love you. So thank you for this day. Bless these men and women. Let everywhere they go, the aroma and the fragrance of your goodness get on everybody they bump into. May we spread a pandemic of the kingdom that makes the COVID thing look like nothing. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.